morning. Good morning. It's good to have you guys here. It's good to have all of you here. A lot of you I see um, all the time, uh, but we have some really some special guests here. There are there are about twenty uh, young adults that have traveled a long ways to spend a week here and help rebuild from Harvey. I think they have traveled from Minnesota. Is that right? Only from Minnesota to spend a week here. So uh, you guys are especially welcome. You, uh, you aren't guests, you're family, uh, you're adopted, and if you ever come back to Texas, uh, know you have a second home right here. We're glad that you're here. We're thankful for the work that you guys have committed to, to take a week of your lives, as have a number of folks in the crowd here as well, to help people come through a very difficult time. I have two questions to ask you. If you're on my email list, you already got these questions. The first is, what do you need most in your life? Ponder your life right now. What do you need most in your life right now? And second question is similar to that. The question is, how would you fill in this blank? If I had blank, all would be well. If I had blank in my life right now, all would be well. Maybe you would put in, if I had health, all would be well. Maybe you put in, if I had financial security. Maybe you would say, if I had a job I loved, Maybe you would say, if I had a husband or a wife who loved me, maybe you would say, if I have, have children or grandchildren that are, are getting back on the right path, maybe you'd say, if I had parents that understand me, maybe you'd say, if I had a comfortable home, I'm not sure what you might put in that. Let me take you back to this season of my life um, quite some time back. I was, I was 23 years old. I was a year out of college. I was really blessed with, with good health, had a very loving family good friends. I was developing some competence at work after that first year, had money to pay the bills. And I was on the verge, in fact, I was on the eve of my wedding day to marry Marie Yannick. And and I found myself on that day having this astounding peace, this security, this joy that I don't think I'd ever really felt before. In fact, that day I had this very controversial presentation to make to senior executives. And, and it, it didn't bother me at all. There was such security. And I thought about it that day and the next, and I realized there's this one that I admire so much, I respect so much, I love so much, and she's committing to spend the rest of her life to love me. And there was, there was this stunning sense of completeness and security. But a year later, I had everything I had that eve of the wedding. A year later, I had all of that. But the peace and the security and the deep joy was gone. Why? Why was it gone? See, the one that that I had held in such high esteem, I still had her. She still loved me. She probably loved me better a year into it than she did the day of our wedding. Why? Why was it gone? The answer to that is found in the third chapter of Ephesians. Uh, We're in this study of Ephesians. We've titled it Beyond. And and we're working our way through. This is week three of it, so we're going to be in chapter three. And verse one begins very appropriately for us. Paul's writing, and he says, when I think of all of this, which just prompts you to go back about what he's written in chapters one and two. So it's a perfect setup for us. And when when he's thinking of all this, he's going back to this chapter one. And I taught about the first part of chapter one, about how God has this crazy pleasure about his love for us and about his forgiving us or longing to forgive us if we trust Jesus. This crazy pleasure in adopting us as his children, it's it's off the charts, it's beyond our wildest comprehension. 
that the God of, of all power that owns it all would have such pleasure over you and over me. And then as we're doing this study of Ephesians, as I've told you all along, I'm, I'm taking one little part of a chapter and teaching that, but it's a joint study. And so I'm sending you home to study the rest of the chapter we're on. And so if you studied on, then you hit this part in chapter one about this power of God. It is infinite. There's no limit. It's beyond anything we could ever imagine. And then chapter two, I began to talk about this grace of God, which means that that God would choose to forgive us when we trust Jesus, not because we earned it, not because we got good enough, simply this free gift we can never earn. And so it's not about trying to get good, and I've said it's all about trusting Jesus. And what that means, if I can put an image around it, it means to walk with Jesus where he leads. It means to trust him enough to walk with him. It's very relational, walk with him where he leads. We often talk about this surrender to Christ. Well, that's the where he leads part. It's to say to him, I, I, I trust you so much. I, I know now you live, you live with such proximity to me. I will trust you to, to walk with you where you lead me to go. It's this astounding grace. It's beyond anything we could imagine. And then if you read on through the chapter then, it begins to talk about how there's this unity that's formed among people that follow Jesus of people that for generations had been deep enemies of each other. There had been so much bloodshed through the centuries among these people. And now Paul is writing and saying, now there are these people from all these different backgrounds and nationalities and people groups and skin colors, and they're meeting Jesus, and there's this bond. He said, it's this unity beyond imagination. Who would have thought all comes from God? So that's what Paul is thinking of. He opens chapter 3 by writing... When I think of all this, but then he begins this aside for the next verse one through 13, he goes on this aside. It's some really important stuff in there, some good stuff, but that's yours to study. You're going to study that. And I'm going to pick back up in verse 14 because he comes back all over again after the aside and all over again, he says this, when I think of all this, the grace, the power, the pleasure, the the unity that God brings. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. First, I want to point out in those few short verses there, it talks about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Within those four simple verses, uh, Paul brings it all together, this, this deep understanding there is one God. There's only one God. But in the mystery and complexity of the infinite being, and we being finite, we can't understand there's one God, but, but there's three persons in the one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Paul mentions them all right here. And he talks about, he says, so when I think of all this, I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I was reading this back several years back, and I spent a couple of nights at a beach house at Surfside Beach. Someone had loaned me for a couple of nights. It was in the middle of winter. But as we often have in Texas, it was a spectacular week of weather. The temperatures were mild. The sun was bright during the day. The moon, you know, the night sky was, was glorious. It was an empty beach. And and I was, I was looking at this, and, and Paul's saying, when I, 
When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I found myself looking at the grains of sand all around me that seemed to be endless. And I found myself looking at and listening to the waves that were continually rolling in and crashing in over and over and over. And I realized they never stopped. They never stopped. And then I'd look up at the daytime sky and see the beauty of that. Then the nighttime sky, I'd see just the wonders of that. And I found myself in this deep awe. We sang about 100 billion galaxies, which is what scientists think there are. The number wasn't in my head, but I thought, everything that exists is created by this God, the one that Paul is praying to. We sang about 100 billion people, and scientists think that's how many people God has made from the beginning of time. There have been 100 billion people. There was, this, there was this awe, there was this rightful awe. When I pray, when you pray, it helps so much to, to be gripped by that. It helps so much. I'm not at the beach that often, so I like mountains too, which says I live in the wrong place if I like mountains. But on the wall behind my desk at the office, there's this beautiful scene of this mountain scene. It's spectacular. There's this lake in the, in the middle of the basin of the mountain, and there are animals that I don't see very often. There's a beautiful scene there. I look at often. I think about God who's created everything. There are pictures all around me of my family who I love dearly, generations of my family, and I'm reminded he made every single one of them, made everything. I think of the power that that means, the creativity the brilliance that it implies to create all of this, I think of the love it implies. That's, that's who Paul is praying to, and, and that's who we need to have our mind around best we can in our finite way as we go forward. And then he says, so I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that out of his uh, glorious unlimited resources. He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So he's, he's praying that the reader, the listener, would have this power that would come from God out of his glorious and unlimited resources that God would give power to them within your inner being. And then the verses that follow this explaining this is going to be really crucial to us today. The verses that follow explain how we receive that power from God. And so in verse 17 then, Paul says this, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. Jesus, the Son of God who has lived from eternity past and will to eternity future. Jesus, the one who who died on a cross, who bled, who we sang about, who bled for my sins and your sins. Jesus will make his home in your hearts, which is a phenomenal reality. We've talked in this series about how Paul writes 36 times in these few short pages. He averages nine times a page. He talks about when we trust Jesus, when we begin to walk where he leads, walk with him where he leads, when we trust him nine times a page on average, he says that you begin to live in Christ. And I've talked about the similarity of living in the Bay Area or living in Minnesota or living wherever. We're influenced by the environment in which we live. And and Paul is writing and saying, but 
when you trust Jesus, there's a much more profound, much more powerful, much more meaningful, much more lasting environment you live in. It's, it's the environment of Jesus. And his intention is that he would be the primary influencer of our life, so much more so than the environment would be. But here Paul flips it and says, no, not only do you live in Christ, but he sets up residence in your heart. And there are five other times in the books that Paul authored in the Bible, he talks about Jesus lives in you. It's such stunning intimacy of relationship. Those are just images to try to help us wrap our mind around it. When we trust Christ, there's such intimacy that's real, whether we feel it or not, that only about him can one say that we live in him and he lives in us. And then it says, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. This is where he begins to get to the whole meat of this. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. What do roots do for a tree? They draw in nourishment, don't they? They draw in life-giving nourishment. They also provide this, this deep base, this deep anchor for the tree, doesn't it? So when storms come, the tree can withstand everything. There's this strength that comes because of these roots that are there. And the health of a tree is in its roots. The health of a tree is in its roots. But the health of the roots is in the soil. The health of the roots is in the soil. Which is why Paul is writing, then your roots will grow down into God's love and make you strong. And then I want to pick up, and this is just building verse after verse. And then he writes and says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. He doesn't stop there. He says, may you experience the love of Christ, though you can never understand it fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. May you understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And there's a lot of specifics one could appropriately put around wide and long and high and deep. Can I share with you the ones that mean a lot to me right now? They're not the only ones you could use, but they certainly are biblical and true. When I think about understanding how wide God's love is, I think about his love is so wide. His love encompasses all of my sins, all of them. I never have, I never could sin so much. His love isn't wide enough for that. And some of us need to hear that today. You need to hear it today because, because you're, you're wearing this guilt around sin. Jesus died for that sin. If you've trusted him, he's forgiven it. If you haven't trusted him, he's, he's inviting you to trust him with your life. He'll forgive it all. May you know how wide his love is. Whatever your sins, however many they are, how, how, however widely they span, his love is wider than that. When I think about how long his love is, I think of it in terms of time frame. I think about how his love stretches into all of eternity. His love will never end. His love will never end. It, it will always continue. It will never end. May we know how, how long his love is. May we know how high his love is. What I think of is that God's love reaches the heights of perfection. When I think of how high it is, often I think of height is, is, is when you get to the very top 
Like that's when it's the best, the ideal. God's love reaches the very heights of perfection, the heights of perfection. May you know how deep his love is. God, God's love, thinking of the root analogy that Paul uses, God's love provides endless sustenance. When your life or mine is anchored in God's love, we will never be without the, the life-giving nourishment we need. His, his love gives endless sustenance to us. It doesn't just stop with saying, guys, we got to know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep. He says, may you experience Christ's love, not just intellectually, but emotionally. Not just to get his love up here, because this is not that hard to get if you think it through. It's not that hard to get. But may we get it here. Not just a theological fact, but this real experiences of your life and mine. Like real events, real circumstances. Thinking back, I was a, a month away from my 30th birthday, the birth of our first child, our first son. And at the time, I was still an agnostic, which means I didn't know if there was a God or not. I was in search mode. I was trying to sort out whether there was a God or not. And uh, the first time I saw our son, I, this may not make sense, I felt the love of God. I felt the love of someone that I didn't even know existed in the birth of our son. You think back through your life, and maybe you've been a Christ follower a long time. There's times and events. Maybe you're not, maybe you don't even know if there is a God, but you think back, you may find a time you felt the love of someone that you didn't even know existed. Let me fast forward now through time. I, I've been a, an avid runner my whole life, a bad one my whole life. But an avid runner, nonetheless, I love to watch people run fast, but I never run with them. Uh, but so um, the most famous place to run in the United States is, is a place in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, called Pree's Trail. Pree is a, what they called a guy named Steve Prefontaine, who's a, who was a distant runner who died far too young. And Pree's Trail is where he would do most of his training. And, and it's all laid out with this uh, bark mulch and wood chips. And so it's just great. It's the perfect, perfect cushioning to run in. And part of it runs by the Willamette River, which is this beautiful flowing river that's actually clear, which I don't see a lot of around here, this beautiful river. Part of it goes through woods, part of it through prairies, goes around lakes. And, and I, I always read about it. I saw pictures. I never thought I would run it. But in 2015, sunrise, I'm running Priest Trail, a, a gift from a incredible family member and we're in Oregon and the sun's coming up and it's this cool crisp temperature and I'm running priest trail now I didn't look like pre when he was running the priest trail you wouldn't want to see a, a video of me running it but but I was running his trail and because I had always thought wouldn't it be nice but I never will I felt the love of God it, maybe it was a small thing but I felt the love of God in real events and real circumstances may you not just know, yes, we must know, but may you experience the love of Christ. And then this is what he comes down to and says, then like when you know how wide, long, high, and deep, when you experience his love, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that come from God. Let me say that again. When, when you and I be when we begin to be gripped by, because that's what the word means in the old, when it's written in Greek, not just to understand how wide, long, high, deep, but you become gripped by it when it's in your grasp. 
when you experience it then, that when you get that, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You will need nothing else. You will be lacking for nothing. What do you need most? I know the answer because it's the same answer for me. You need to know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is for you. Not just know it, you need to experience it in your life. That's what you need most. What is the blank to fill in? If I had blank, all would be well. It's to know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep. It's to experience. If, if you and I, if we, if we had this depth of knowledge and the rich experiences of God's love, I can safely say, I, I know we would have all we need. We would have all that we need. I told you about when I was 23, and uh, on the eve of my wedding, thinking I had all that I would need. I uh, married this incredible young woman, and she's become more incredible through the years, nearly 41 years right now. And that first year, she loved me far better than I loved her. In my mind, in my view, this is an incredible woman. But, but why, why wasn't it enough? Because as good as she was, as good as she is, she's not perfect. As well as she loved me then and loves me now, it's not this perfect, unconditional love. And there's something in you that, that's made for that. In me, it's made for that. There, there is this part that is a void until it's filled by the love of one who's perfect. It's filled by one who can, can love with perfection, this unconditional love, and it will never end. That's why there was this fleeting sense of I have all I need, and the reality is that, that human beings, especially really good human beings, can be a reflection of God's love. Thank God for that. It can be a reflection of God's love, but, but even the best human beings are only a very faint reflection of the brilliant love of God. So if this is what you need, if this is what fills in the blank and all will be well, how can we increasingly know and experience God's love? How can we increasingly know and experience God's love? And this isn't going to be on your list, but first I would say make a list of times that you look back and realize I experienced God's love then. You may be one who is thinking, I'm not sure if there's a God, but think back. You may be caught off guard. You might remember a time you think, oh, man, that I, there was something I felt that didn't fit my grid. Think back. Wherever you are, whatever your theology is today, think back on, make a list of times you experienced God's love. And then I would say this, um, prayer. Soak yourself in prayer, specifically with what Paul prayed for. Ask God to show you, to help you understand, to help you grasp, to comprehend how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And ask God to help you experience the love of Christ. Ask him. He promises if you ask something in, within my will, I'll give it to you. But there's a place Jesus also says, uh, don't just ask once and if it doesn't come, quit. 
There's a place he says, when you know you're in God's will, ask and ask and ask. He fervently, persistently asks, so pray. If you want to know better, if you want to experience more, then ask God to show you, teach you, give you the experience. Second, I would say, is, is attend a catalyst retreat. I hesitated to put this down because it's this one event. It's this focus event. We have uh, 70 women on one of those right now. 35 of them are actually serving. 35 are participating. In the last seven years, we've had over 1,000 people who have gone on it. And I, I put this down because far beyond anything else I could tell you, this is where you're likely to better know and experience the love of Christ. If I could line up the 1,000 people, give them a microphone, and let you ask them, and you could see their heart, and they would be honest, almost everyone would say in that mere 72 hours, and it was just filled with, it had teaching, it had worship, and it had communion, and there was prayer, and there was some discussion, just the same stuff, but 72 hours, somehow, some reason, God shows up in profound ways. And if you've not been to a Catalyst retreat, and you guys from Minnesota, you can come back. You can, I'm serious, you can come back. Uh, we'll make the retreat free for you guys. If there's one, I, I really mean that. If there's one thing I could say to do, then you owe it to yourself. I don't care how much you've already know and experienced, you owe it to yourself. Third thing is this, is scripture. It, is immerse yourself in scripture. If you're new to the Bible, then start in the New Testament. But read it. Many people, myself included, have found it helps to memorize parts of it. I'm a bad memorizer. I, I have to do a phrase at a time. It takes a long time. But, but memorize some parts that can help convey to you the truth of God's love for you. Post um, verses or, or passages or phrases of Scripture around you in your home or your workplace or wherever you're at. Post them around you. But Scripture's this place that if you turn to it often, and if you're looking for it, you'll see the truth of how God loves you. Next, I would say, be sure you're in Christian community. You're in Christian community. The, the very first small group Christian community that Marie and I were in, it was, it was in the agnostic era of our lives. And so we thought maybe church would be a good thing to go to, so we began to go. Someone like, tricked us into going to a small group, and it turned out to be really nice people. They were, they were weird because they, they really believed God existed. But um, we'd gone through a first pregnancy that ended in a miscarriage, which was really devastating. And so Marie became pregnant again with who would become our first son who would be born. And when we finally opened up to them and said, uh, we're pregnant again, but we're so afraid. They did a very simple thing. They simply gathered around us and simply prayed. And as this agnostic, uh, through them and their prayers, we, we so deeply felt the love of God. We would have missed it if we hadn't been in Christian community. We deeply felt the love of God. Let me fast forward, because we've been blessed with Christian community uh, ever since. In just some uh, recent months, Marie was sharing, uh, we were both sharing with this couple that we've grown to love and be in Christian community with for some time. And she was sharing about some just some difficulties and struggles of the time. And on the heels of that, two, three, four days later, uh, came this letter of such profound encouragement. 
we've kept the letter. We always will. Our kids will inherit it. They can do what they want with it. They're going to inherit the letter because we so profoundly felt the love of God. But we would have missed that if we'd not been in Christian community. So put yourself in Christian community. Next, I would say worship is uh, put your place, yourself in places where you can worship. You can worship alone, but it always goes to a new level if you worship with others. We did this song titled, So Will I, 100 Billion. And we, we got to the lyrics that said, God of salvation, you chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Like they fade to nothing. A hundred billion failures disappear. Well, you lost your life so I could find it there. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done, every part designed in a work of art called love. And then it ends. You're the one who never leaves the one behind. And we were always, those of us that followed Jesus, we were once the one left behind. And he found us. Maybe today you're the one left behind and he's finding you today. He's finding you today. And you're experiencing his love. He's calling out to you and saying, you you need to do one thing. You need to trust that when Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago, historical fact, he died for you, died for your sins. And if you'll trust him, in other words, if you'll begin to walk with him where he leads, which means surrendering leadership to him, then he'll forgive everything. He'll adopt you into his family, and you'll have this relationship with him as well. And you'll begin to deeply Deeply have his potential to know, experience his love. Well, the chapter ends with these two verses now. All glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And then right after this, chapters 4, 5, and 6 begin to talk about how God would intend to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And so that's significant because the first three chapters end with saying, if if you only can know more deeply, if you can experience more richly the love of God, then you're all set up. You're prepped for this life change. (laughs) By his mighty power at work within you, he will do infinitely more than you might ask or think. You're prepared. You have, what, you have the one thing you need as then God begins to lead you as you walk with Jesus where he leads. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, about what that will begin to look like. And the, the transformation, this power above all, is taking your life and mine and making us more like Jesus. Make us more and more like Jesus. We're about to have a song. Some of you have heard this song. It's called Reckless Love. And, and we'll roll from this song that some of you have heard. You're welcome to worship with it if you know it or can join in. It's not hard to catch on to. We'll roll into another worship song, and then I have some, some words to share with you after that. But I need to say this. We, we pondered not doing reckless love because there, there are different synonyms for the term reckless, and some of the synonyms do not fit God's love, but some do. And so I, I want to lay this out. God's recklessness in loving us is not careless 
or foolhardy or without thought. If that's what you tend to think of when you think reckless, then that's not what this is talking about. Because he's not careless about it. He's not foolhardy. It's not without thought. He deeply planned it all out. But if you look at some other synonyms of reckless, you can find bold and daring and audacious. And that's who God is. And that was the move for his son to come from heaven and become a human embryo and live on this planet 33 years and then die on a cross. I mean, that was, that was his reckless love, bold, daring, audacious love. So let me pray, and the band will come up, and we'll roll into that and, and a worship song, and then I've got some closing words for you. Father, I pray for each one of us here, wherever we are, that you will help us even in this morning's event to know better, to know with greater depth the love you have for us. And I also pray, Father, that you might help us experience in the real events and circumstances of our life, experience your love. Not, not merely the love of humans, which we are so grateful for, but may it be such that we recognize this is your love in the events or circumstances being poured out upon us. And then, Father, we'll be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.